You'd think I wouldn't have to keep looking at the bulletin to know what comes next, but... Alright. Like I said, little hope for later on. Okay. Scripture today is out of Jeremiah. Chapter 1, verse 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow and to build and to plant. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Do not adjust your radio dials. You heard me correctly. This passage is out of Jeremiah. For the next couple of weeks that I'll be preaching to you, we're going to give Luke a little bit of a break, but don't fret. He'll be back later. Jeremiah is an interesting prophet. His life spanned over some crucial times in Judea. He was born in the mid-7th century BC, just before the Golden Age of the Judean people under King Josiah. Jeremiah would begin bringing the word of God to the people in around 627 BC. And after King Josiah was killed in 609, tensions in the area were growing even more than they had been. And eventually the first temple in Jerusalem was destroyed at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar II in 586 and the people of Judea were exiled to Babylon. Much of what Jeremiah said to the people took place during that exile, when he was used by God to remind them that they were not alone, that their faith would see them through the exile and back to Judea, where they would be able to build the temple again. Before Jeremiah even got a chance to build up the faith of those in captivity, he was called by God. His call story is not much different than most call stories we see in Scripture, and not much different than our own call stories when we really start to think about it. The form is God identifies the agent. The agent says, all due respect, God, but you've clearly lost your mind. I could never do what you're asking me to do. In some cases, the agent, like Jonah, runs away. And very closely followed by God promising never to leave the side of the agent. This passage comes at a great time in my life of, as I've started writing my paperwork for commissioning. It's the next step in the ordination process. And part of that paperwork is to share my call story with those that hold my future in their hands. I struggled for a little bit as I began to write it, not because I couldn't remember it, 
or anything like that, but because I was trying to come up with a new way to share it. You see, when one decides to enter the process for ordination, they have to share their call story so much that it really starts to become boring or even pedestrian. I was thinking, trying to think of a way to write that would at least be somewhat entertaining. I assure you, it's still not entertaining. And I know that I have shared bits and pieces of it with you in the past, but I don't know that I've ever given you all the full story. So I'm going to do that for you right now. If for any other reason than to prove that God calls all kinds of people to do all kinds of things. God pulls from many types and from many different lives. My mother once told me if you hear from three different if you hear three different times from three different stories, sources, excuse me, it's probably from God. And I'm convinced that she's right. I first heard the call to ministry while I was still in high school. As a typical high school student, I was not paying attention to much of my surroundings. My only thought was getting out. Both of my parents are ordained elders in the United Methodist Church, so people would often ask me, are you going into the family business? Ah. And of course, my first and all my quick response was always no. I had seen how the sausage was made. I had seen what some of the less pleasant effects that parish ministry had on the clergy and their families. I started college in the fall of 2001. About two weeks after I moved into my dorm and started adjusting to my new life, the events of September 11th happened. I mentioned this not to go over my emotional and physical reactions to the events, but that the events of that day would, in time, play a role in my call. Suffice to say for now that I did not fare well after that day, just like just about every other person that I know. It caused some residual issues, including severe anxiety, and that anxiety led me to make some horrible decisions, but what is worse, I wasn't able to make any decisions at all. The second attempt God made to get my attention was in 2010. I had recently jumped on the Netflix bandwagon, and I was looking for something to watch. I came across a documentary called The Saint of 9-11. For the last nine years, I had worked extremely hard avoiding anything to do with 9-11. I did not want to watch anniversary tributes, I did not want to hear about it on the radio or television, and I certainly was not going to watch any of the movies that had come out about it. I did not need a reminder. It was with me all of the time. But something that afternoon in 2010 allowed me to read the description of the documentary, and I pushed play. It was about a priest named Michael Judge, who was a chaplain for the New York City Fire Department. On that day, Father Michael went to the towers not because it was his job, but because it is where his calling as a priest, a chaplain, and a shepherd sent him. He, like the other first responders, went toward danger as everyone else was doing everything they could to get away. Father Michael was the first certified fatality that day. While I was watching the documentary and after it was over, I just had this overwhelming feeling that I could do something like that. I don't know on such a grand and horrific scale. 
as, as Father Michael, but I am good at a crisis. Other people's crisis, not my own, others. Before I really knew it, I was looking up the steps to becoming a chaplain, which led me to the website of the only seminary I've ever heard of, Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. It was where my parents had met, so it was a fairly big part of my life even before I found my own way there. As I was looking at the requirements for admission, I chickened out. I told myself that even if God was calling me to do this, I didn't want to do it. It was going to be too hard. Just look at the application. And I can't preach. I'm terrible at standing up in front of people. Remember that time you tried to sing at the fair? Shut it down. Seriously, I did try to do that once. I'm not going to talk about it. I was also in a relationship that I knew would not survive an announcement of, I'm going to seminary. Sadly, at that time, that particular relationship took precedence over everything in my life. Don't get jealous, Josh. You win. Aww. Four years later, in the spring of 2014, I heard God calling me again, and finally, I listened. I had been having a few experiences in the recent past with some members of the clergy, the names of whom I will not mention because they're still around, and they're not the most flattering examples. One pastor had refused to do the wedding of another pastor, presumably out of jealousy, and yet another pastor had changed their mind about covering the pulpit for someone who needed, excuse me, needed to tend to their sick child because it was just further than I, you know, than we wanted to drive every week. And I was thinking to myself, that's just not what I think a pastor is supposed to do. I remember thinking, these can't be the kind of pastors we have in our conference. The best way to describe what happened next is my own Aldersgate experience. I thought, psh, I could do better than that. And a wave of warmth washed over me as though to say, yeah, that's what I've been saying for 15 years. A couple of weeks later, one of my mother's friends was visiting her for the weekend, so I drove up to visit as well. She's a Catholic nun in the Detroit area, and we had a few moments alone. And she asked how I was doing, and I said, Carmela, I think I'm being called to the ministry. And she smiled at me, and she said, yes, I think you are. The only sticking point was the relationship that I had been in for seven years. I had been trying to get up the nerve to break it off for a long time, but I just couldn't slash wouldn't. So I said to God, okay, you get me out of this and I'll go work for you. Two days later, I found the courage to break off for the relationship. I scheduled my campus visit to Garrett and started the candidacy process. And then here I am. A quick, you know, five years later, here I am. Where is God calling you? What has God brought into your path that has you thinking, I wonder? God knew us before we were even born. God knew what skills we would have, what gifts had been given to us. We must have faith that God knows what God is doing, that God has seen it all that God can, in the blink of an eye, make adjustments 
where the needs need to be made, where it needs to be made. Eugene Peterson wrote in his book, Run with the Horses, The Quest for the Life at Its Best, we are known before we know. We enter a world we didn't create. We grow into a life already provided for us. We arrive in a complex of relationships with other wills and destinies that are already in full operation before we are introduced. If we are going to live appropriately, we must be aware that we are living in the middle of a story that has begun and will be concluded by another. And that other is God. As Jeremiah's story plays out in scripture, his life definitely goes in a direction that he certainly did not see it going. Whether he had much of a plan for his own life, he did not, it did not include being exiled to a foreign land, surviving for a long time in an era, era of political and religious upheaval. But through it all, Jeremiah had God by his side, just as God has promised to go so, lo to go so long ago when God had, excuse me, just as God had promised so long ago when he had commissioned him. Of course, knowing that God is with you is comforting, but it doesn't make things any less scary or sometimes any less dangerous or difficult. Doing the work of God can be a perilous venture. We see that time and time again throughout scripture and even through newer history. The promise that God will not leave us is what helps us to answer our call. It is what leads some of us into battle and others into burning buildings. It is what causes us to stand up when we see injustice. It is what helps us face ridicule from people who are not ready to listen. Even when we know we have been called by God, it is still hard. Jeremiah tried to quit. Later on in the book, he tries to tell God, thanks, but no, get, no thanks, again. But God doesn't accept resignations. God has called each of us to discipleship. And God has promised all of us the tools that we will need in order to fulfill our commitments in that discipleship. Listen to what God is telling you. Listen to where God is leading you. Do not be afraid. You will have the words. You will have the tools. And you will have God. Amen. <laughs>